Welcome to the Transformative Principle Podcast. This is your host, Eric McKelkey. Today on the show, our guest is Dr. Tina Curry. Tina, welcome. Thank you, Eric. Tina's joining us from Chicago. You work in Chicago Public Schools currently as a lead coach at Fernwood Elementary. That is correct. How, how would you explain, Tina, what a lead coach is? I had to ask you this um, earlier. What's a lead coach? So a lead coach would be the same thing as an instructional coach. I am pretty much responsible for working with te- teachers, mentoring teachers, helping them um, to provide effective instruction um, in schools for, for children. Yeah. And your award list is long. I, I was looking over the notes. So you helped... Uh, contribute to the book Teaching for Racial Equity. You've been named an Excellence and Equity Award winner, um, all kinds of uh, STEM Academy, um, Teacher of English Awards. Um, very impressive background. How long have you been in education, Tina? Over two decades. Over two decades as a um, Chicago Public Schools educator, 10 years um, at the college level at National Lewis University, where I work in the College of Education, working with um, students who are either returning to school to get their graduate degrees in reading and language, or sometimes career changers who have decided to become teachers. Yeah. So the the big topic today we're going to talk about um, is equity. So I think a good place to start, Tina, would be tell us tell us about your own equity journey. Where did it start? Wow. So I would say, thank you for that question, Eric. I would say my equity journey started a long time ago before I even knew that that's what I was doing. Like I have these beliefs that I believe that um, all children deserve to be in school spaces where they feel affirmed, where they feel valued. Um, I believe that um, children should be um, be treated with a sense of justice um, in school, that school should be a place of healing. Um, that the things that I teach should not only transform students, but transform me. And so when those things weren't happening, um, I would just resist those things and I I would um, uh, reject those type of things. For example, if there was a school policy that I didn't think that would serve children well, especially um, children of color, I wouldn't adhere to that policy. Or or if someone, my school purchased curriculum that I did not think um, that would... um, get my children excited about learning, I wouldn't use it. I would um, switch it out for for something else. And then it wasn't until about maybe five years ago, I realized, wow, all the time I was doing equity work. I just didn't have a name for it. Um, But in recent years, though, I have been like doing a lot of reading, doing a lot of work uh, with other colleagues who have also started their equity journey. And so now I feel really like empowered to like bring others along on my journey with me. So it's led me to become a lot more disruptive um, in my in my teaching. And I was really happy to contribute my work um, to the to the book about how I use my disruption and my interruption to empower my young people um, to do the same thing and to really, really see them for the uh, brilliant um, children that they are. Um, my journey has come with a lot of rewards, but it's also come with a lot of challenges, sometimes at a great loss to even my own mental health. Because when you're like doing really important work um, that's not popular, you can be isolated. 
Um, you can actually lose friendships. And sometimes you can feel like you're on an island by yourself. And most often when you're doing stuff that requires you to have integrity, you do tend to like stand alone. And so a lot of my validation has come um, from my from my students who were um, part of my class who have told me how um, how I really empowered them through my own example of interruption and disruption um, to like take up for themselves when they're being mistreated in school um, to speak out against things that did not um, serve them serve them well and to even challenge their teachers sometimes about the things that they were reading with them the things they were putting in front of them what they were asking them um, to do with it so it's been um, it's been quite a journey and I'm still on it um, I would like to think that I am not transformed yet I am still um, transforming What are some of the celebrations and some of the positives that have come out of your your equity journey that you've seen with students, with with staff and colleagues? Well, I would say one of the biggest successes that has come out of my equity journey is when a group of students at a former high school, um, after taking my public speaking class, I did a unit um, on activism, um, actually organized and um, conducted a school walkout to call out racism at the school. And as a result of that walkout, that walkout was established um, a Black Student Union. That walkout also established new policy where um, children um, could actually report teachers for racism and not be um, not have to worry about being intimidated um, for it. Uh, and also built stronger relationships between Black students and um, Latino students um, in the building and even teachers um, started to attend the book clubs that I was hosting. Um, we started to have more conversations. There was even like a thing where we all had like accountability partners. And so I would say like those were some really big successes that came out of my uh, my own journey and just making myself vulnerable and making my work visible. You know, like not doing your work on the sidelines where people can't see you. But when I was in high school, I played uh, the number four. So I was down low. It's like you called up the ball, 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 ball. So you guys got to be a little louder so people can notice you so they can see you. Uh, and so just like really just being out there and putting myself out there and trying to be the example, um, I was able to bring other people along on the journey. But the most, I think, celebratory one was like students stepping up and being leaders in the school um, and being brave enough to uh, to demand a better education than the one they were receiving. Yeah. Do you, do you find that usually the students are more open to recognizing that there's some some equity issues than the staff? Is that typical? It is. It is typical. But when students say it, they'll say, that wasn't right. I, uh, the teacher did this. It, that's what they'll say. That wasn't right. So they recognize injustice when it's happening to them. And it, students probably, pretty much won't say, oh, that was in that wasn't an equity. They'll just hmm. say, that was so wrong. That wasn't fair. I know she shouldn't have done this or he shouldn't have said that. Um, so um, but adults, I think for us, we just want to believe that we're doing the right thing all the time, even despite the best intentions, though, like even I've messed up sometimes. Um, and students have uh, taken my words and used my words to call out my own uh, inequities when I unintentionally create them. But the thing is, a harm is a harm, right? So if I accidentally like hit you with my car, it doesn't matter if it was an accident, I've still caused a, caused a harm. And I think for teachers, the reason why we went into education is to make a difference. Like we're all wired to want to make a difference, uh, to live into our life's purpose. So it's really hard to like 
say to ourselves and own up to it and admit that we've done something um, that caused harm to a child. Yeah, and I've I've noticed that when it's come up with staff, it's almost this hope of, you know, I don't want to acknowledge that we have an issue like that. Or if I admit that I harmed a student of color, then I'm admitting to being racist. And really, I didn't intend to do it. And I don't, I don't come from a place of hate. Um, but they, sometimes it's hard to get get the ball rolling with with staff. Do you do you find that at all? Oh, yes. I actually experienced that as an equity coach. It was really hard to get the ball rolling for staff. I'm going to tell you the moment I had a breakthrough um, is we were on the coaching climate team. We were having a meeting and teachers were like, Dr. Curry, like you're you're just always coming at us. And I just feel like, you know, you, you're making me feel so bad about you. Know, you're making me feel like I'm a horrible teacher. And so I shared a story about the first time I realized that my race mattered. Um, I was visiting my mother up here in Chicago. I grew up on a farm in Mississippi Delta. And I was at the then called Sears Tower. Now it's the Willis Tower. And I had gotten a little summer job and a family had come into the store. It was called Fanfare at the time and said to my manager, we do not want this little black girl to help us. Like we really want to like spend money, but we prefer the um, the white associate that's over there, not this little black girl. And um I remember for the first time in my life being ashamed of being a little black girl. And it wasn't until I started like, like outright intentionally deliberately doing equity work when I realized like that little black girl was still a very much a part of me when I would cry and when I would um, feel bad, that was like her coming out of me. And I shared that with my white colleagues and it just changed everything. And so it became like a norm for our meeting. We started every meeting with someone sharing a story about why do you show up the way you do? Where does your harm come from? Or where does your passion come from? And it just built this amazing um, community that actually made me like love to be at work again. Like I only like like been work when I was around my students. Um, and the fact that I was working with a predominantly um, white staff, it started to make them start thinking about, wow, you know what, maybe I shouldn't do my bell ringer or important lessons at the very start of class. This starts at 730. Maybe I should wait until I do the most important content, maybe 20 minutes later. So this student is not always missing out. You know what? Maybe I do need to think about how I line students up for dismissal. Maybe I do need to like think about am I perpetuating the school to prison pipeline every time I send a child to the dean's office for every little thing that, that he or she does. And so we started having these conversations and I I think that that really started to shift the culture and climate um, in the building. And no, not everyone got on board as fast as people needed to. And again, I think we all still need to keep working on ourselves. That's why we call it like, you know, transformational work, because we are we're still trying to get there. Yeah, never and never done. Um, have you have you seen those as staff have gotten on board with that? Um, um some of the situations you're describing, like lining up office referrals, a lot of that's unintentional that it sounds like you're just asking them to reflect on practices. But as, as that is picked up in the staff that you're working with, um, do you notice it making a difference across the building and, and within the school? Well, you know, so I don't know, Eric, when we say that was unintentional. So here's the thing. I don't necessarily know if it's, if it's, unintentional like would I do that if I were working with someone with blonde hair and blue eyes right so 
the fact that I'm I'm looking at black children doing it to black children, I think I just I'm I'm thinking that people are like aware, right? Otherwise, you wouldn't do it if it were someone else. Even if it was a rich black child, you wouldn't do that to Michael Jordan's son. You 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 just wouldn't do that. Um, so I don't know if it was necessarily unintentional, but I do believe that teachers do not become teachers to harm children, to harm any child. Mm -hmm. I do believe genuinely teachers want to do what's right, but I think it goes back to the unchecked bias, the unchecked privilege, the unchecked racism that makes us keep doing it, if that makes sense. Yeah. And maybe to clarify, instead of unintentional practices, um, I was thinking unintentional harm, like mm. they were unintentionally harming students of color. Is I that... would agree with that. I would, okay. I would agree that that, that, that was definitely un unintentional, the harm part. But here's the thing though, like, I think school does have to become a place of, of healing for children. Cause here's the thing, children can't heal if I keep returning to the place that's causing my harm. So if I'm in a classroom where I don't feel affirmed and I act out and I get kicked out, let's say I go and talk to the counselor, which is which is typical at my school. I go in, at the school where I, I'm referring to. I'm no longer there now. Where I go into, I talk to the counselor and I'm okay. But the counselor sends me right back to that classroom where my teacher does not respect my full humanity. I just keep just being traumatized over and over and over again. And that's why I think we really have to change, which is work I wanted to try to start before I left the school um, to change the way we do social emotional learning, right? Because SEL has to address the structural things that harm children in our schools. And that's where we haven't made it yet. We're, that's where we're, we're faltering and we're failing. It's like, we're not addressing SEL um, in a way that's really making a difference. Was that part of the work that you were doing as a lead coach or are you, are you thinking taking that work a step further? Thank you for that question. So it wasn't a part of the work that I was doing as a lead coach. I think what, how it came about is when I started just sitting and talking to students and story after story was about harm. Story after story was about shame. Story after story was um, about feeling degraded, um, feeling invisible. Like when you walk into a classroom and a kid has his hoodie pulled up over his head and he's lying his head down, he's opting out of learning. He's not doing that because he can't learn. He's just chosen that you're, this class doesn't really see me, doesn't value me. So I'm just going to put my hoodie over my head and I'm going to lay, you know, lay my head down until the bell rings. So it wasn't, my intention wasn't to like address that part, but it was kind of hard. Like I didn't know how to do the equity work without also addressing the harm that the inequities cause children and the trauma that they experience in school and getting teachers to really see that. I think if we can really see what we're doing and acknowledge it and name it, and if we really, really care about children, which I think all teachers do, then we can start to change. And that's what I saw at my former high school. I started to see teachers change. 
um, teachers started volunteering to start programs to work with children. Um, teachers um, started like even giving up their lunch periods to work with children who were who were failing. Um, teachers started staying after work with pay or without pay to work with our work with our young people. They started volunteering to to coach. I just saw relationships just forming before my very eyes where it went from this toxic relationship between um, white teachers and black children to some of our white teachers becoming some of our black children's favorite teachers. And that made my heart smile like that felt good. That was a moment where I said, wow, my life's work matters. I'm really, really making a difference here. And it felt really good. You and I had talked about the difference between equity and access, and I wonder I wonder how much of what you're describing there is just the, you know, the white teacher recognizing, hey, we're missing a relationship here. You know, I'm going to teach kids in my class, and I'm going to, you know, grade kids in my class, but really these are some students that need, need a relationship with the teacher to try and overcome that harm or or feel safer in my class. How mu- how much of the of the equity issue do you think could be could be solved just by relationships between teachers and students? I think that's almost that's almost all of it. I I think that if principals who are really looking uh, for a way forward for transformative change in their schools need to invest in teaching teachers how to build relationships with children because it's in relationships where we learn. It's in relationships where I feel like I can thrive. It's in my relationships where I feel motivated. Like everything lives in the relationship. And sometimes we just don't know where to start. I don't know how to build a relationship. I don't have any trust generators under my belt. I don't know how to approach this student. I don't know what to say to get to know this student. But that can be, teachers can be trained to do that. So we need our school leaders to like even put that in the part of like the beginning of the school year um, professional development for teachers is that spending time working with teachers on how to build relationships with children and children's families. Yeah, that's that's the hard part as a teacher that I think principals need to figure out is I've I've always thought because I had teachers tell me this early on, hey, I'd love to build more relationships with my students, but where am I supposed to do that? Because in the classroom, a lot of times, you know, you can't have one-on-one personal conversations with students and that's got to come from, you know, coaching activities, after school, lunches, hallway. Um, That's why I always love lunch duty. That's your time. You can have conversations with kids, you know, whether you're a teacher or principal custodian and it has nothing to do with grades attendance, discipline, um, just getting to, to know kids, but that's a challenge in traditional, you know, school schedules is like, where do you do that as a teacher? But you got to find a way to to have those one-on-one conversations. Or another way, Eric, like, especially like if school leaders are allowing teachers to have some autonomy in their curriculum, you can find a way to do it with like within your curriculum, you can create assignments and create conditions that allow you to get to know students, create assignments where you ask students about their family history, like get to know them. Like if you ask the average um, teacher in the school, like name five things you know about students outside of academics. Most of us can't name five things because we don't know what students prioritize in their families, what they value outside of school. And if we don't, shame on us because that means that 
I'm almost trying to say after 3.30, my child's life just ceases to exist because I know nothing mm-hmm. about them out of the the, the 3.30 uh, time. But there are so many like trust generators in Zaretta Hammer's book, Culture Response to Teaching in the Brain. Um, Goldie Muhammad's book, Cultivating Genius, she has some really great ways in there around culturally responsive literacies and like all the things that we can do to get to like really, really know our students. Because if you don't really know me, you can't teach me. It's like, that's that's not optional. Like we need our school leaders to, for transformational change like you really got to take the time to get to know students and the families that you serve um in in the community yeah the other the other relationship um piece i was going to ask you about what about home visits have you seen that in any schools you've worked in where the teachers or the staff are going to the home with the families and the students Wow, we haven't done home visits in Chicago, oh my goodness, in years, especially now with all of the things where where teachers um, with... uh, you have to walk the thin line between uh, like what's appropriate and what's not and how close we can get to our to our children outside of our our work hours Um, but I would say like holding functions like have a parent day invite parents to come to the school have a grandparent day have a father-daughter dance like have like things in the school have a family literacy night things in the school where you actually invite teachers, I'm sorry, invite parents into um, your school um, community and sort of just get to know and like let parents come and visit classrooms sometimes. Um, I create conditions for them to volunteer um, at the school. So it becomes like a co, like a partnership where we're working um, with parents and not working like against, against parents. Yeah. We, I was a, a principal in a small alternative school. And so it was easier to do because small student body and, um, you know, much lower student to staff ratio, but we, we had a hard time engaging parents and all those functions and activities, the common denominator is they're on our turf. And a lot of those families, they just don't want to come into the school based on their past experiences or preconceived notions. And we found a lot of value um, in going to the parents' home. Okay. I was really surprised how much it changed the teacher's perspective You know, you kind of know a student's background, you kind of know what their family life might be like, but sitting in their living room is like the ultimate empathy of, oh, I kind of get where this kid comes from. So I I know those aren't the answer for every school in America, but I've seen those be really, really powerful. We had a great lady who did some training with us and um, we were nervous, you know, home, home visits are probably as scary to the teacher as they are the parent like what you're coming to my house (laughs) but she said go in there and ask ask one question what are your hopes and dreams for your kid and and that was a great way to get the conversation started and see that the parents are really working together with the school to make sure whatever those hopes and dreams and goals are for the kid we can help I love that question What are your hopes? Oh, I love that question. I love that you bring up empathy because that is the gateway to equity. We can't get there any other way. Yeah, that's hard in teaching, too, because most of the kids we teach are different than we were as students. If you're a math teacher and you're assigning, you know, 50 questions of homework every night, not every kid goes home and loves math and wants to do math and wants to be a math teacher. And it's hard, it's hard to empathize with people who don't believe what you believe come from the background you came from. And I think that would be the same 
whether we're talking race or we're talking socioeconomic status or just the love of your your content area that you're passionate about and and that's hard it's hard to empathize with with people who don't think like you do yeah and I think for teachers um the the key lies in like reimagining what that will look like what are all the ways that a child can show me that they know what they know maybe it's not doing 50 math problems maybe there's some something else that this child can do maybe it's not writing an essay because intelligence doesn't just live in an essay what is what is another way like how can I tap into um how this child can best show me what he or she knows which is that closely responsive piece that we were that we were talking about here here's a question I've been thinking about I don't know if you have an answer to this because we'd probably if if we did we'd probably all be doing it but Tina if there was a school in America that had solved the racial equity puzzle what would that school look like how would you know if your school was equitable in all aspects of educating students that school would look like every single kid getting exactly what they need to be who they want to be in this world that's what that would look like it would look like every child knowing that they are loved because someone has told them every child knowing that they are are valued every child recognized for their strengths um every child experiencing joy and being at school every child having an adult that they can go to that they trust that they can talk to every child feeling safe yeah, and every child being being successful and not just successful as far as like academics but what success means for them and every child having like a plan that's going to work for for that that child it's like everyone is on track to get there no child is being left behind not a single one all children when i say all eric i mean all not one child has a need that has gone unmet that's what that will look like that sounds like the kind of school we'd all want to work at and send our kids to yes <laughs> yeah I, just thinking about that that's pretty pretty powerful just to just to imagine what that would look like it'd take a lot of work and a lot of a lot of things would have to change but it it'd be uh the kind of school I'd want to work at for sure, Tina. Um, but it's possible, Eric. Yeah. Difficult, but possible, right? Yeah. Difficult doesn't mean impossible. Difficult just means it's going to be hard, but it's possible. Yeah. That's what makes this job fun. If it's not a challenge, it's not worth it. <laughs> well, Tina, let, let's take that big picture answer and let's swing the other way. What What's one thing principals could do this week to be a more transformative leader like you? The one thing that principals can do this week to be a transformative leader is to actually just make a decision to change. That's where it starts. I'm just going to make a decision. I'm not going to be the same principal I was yesterday. I'm going to make a decision that I'm no longer going to be a box checker. I'm going to be a transformer. That's great. I like that. Also, Tina, can you... We'll have a link in the show notes. Can you tell the listeners what's the best way for them to reach out to you if they want to connect or ask questions? Please reach out to me on Twitter at Dr. Tina Curry or my email tscurry at cps.edu. 
Awesome. Well, thank you, Tina. Thanks for coming on the show today and, and leading the racial equity conversation. Thank you for having me, Eric.